is the places in which God has placed us. And uh, we live in a society today which, uh, in some ways, uh, we are indeed cross-cultural missionaries. Our world is no, or our, our society is moving further and further away from a Christian worldview, more to a secular worldview. And so we, as, a, as, as, as followers of Jesus, have the responsibility of taking this message cross-culturally to the people of our own uh, nation. And uh, so just a good reminder about that. And, of course, the reason why we do that is because of the fact that God is indeed the maker of all things, the one who is indeed exalted over all of creation, as we're going to look at this morning. And as the exalted king over all creation and deserving of all glory, we are to see his name lifted up in our lives and in the lives of everyone. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we want to thank you for, again, this opportunity to open your word together. Lord, as Peter prayed earlier, you have indeed shone the light of truth into our lives. You have revealed yourself uh, not only to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, but your word reminds us that uh, there is indeed evidence in our world today that there is indeed a wonderful creator who has made everything and that that is visible to, uh, to everyone. Uh, Lord Romans 1 reminds us of that. Help us this morning to, as we begin this new series in Genesis, Lord, to focus in on the wonderful truths that it teaches us about yourself, about our world, and about us. But most importantly, Lord, help us not to learn these things just because they are things to know. Help us not help it not just to be doctrine that we know with our heads, but indeed uh, allow it to deeply penetrate our hearts. Lord, help us to see that these truths that we are learning, that we are speaking about, Lord, are truths in which to live by truths which actually transform and change us by your word, by your spirit, Lord, speaking to our hearts and lives. Open up our minds to your truth today, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, the title that we've given this, uh, this series in Genesis is the series Origins. And over the next several weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be concentrating especially on the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And uh, the reason we're going to do this is because when it comes to uh, origins, origins are important. Our origins help us discover the truths relating to our identity and to our meaning and our purpose in life. In fact, the fundamental question that faces all human beings, all of mankind, the fundamental questions are these. Who am I and why am I here? The answers to these questions lie firmly in what we believe about the origins of the human race. And in the book of Genesis, particularly these first 11 chapters that we will focus on in these coming weeks, we discover the beginnings of almost everything, the origins of almost everything, the beginnings of the universe, of life, of the seven-day week, of seasons, of humanity, male and female. We find or we discover the origins of marriage, 
of family life, of sin, of death and sacrifice, redemption, the nations, languages, governments, cities, music, art, literature, agriculture, all of these things we discover in this first book of the Bible. Of course, that's just to name a few, because we could just continue to go on. And mission, we've just spoken about again. Mission, we see that in, uh, in Genesis as well, the beginning of mission. The God, our God is indeed a missionary God. It is the Bible and its revelation about God that gives us, I believe, the most coherent and the most consistent and the most comprehensive explanation of our world in which we live and indeed of ourselves as human beings, as God has created us. If you've got your Bibles there, you might like to open them up if you haven't already got them open to Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis begins with these words, In the beginning, God. Immediately we brought face to face with this fact of God himself. This opening chapter of Genesis, we see that there are many things that, 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 uh, that Genesis 1 actually teaches us about this God who is revealed right in these opening words. In the beginning, God. And the first thing we learn about God is that God always existed. I mean, there's no argument in Genesis chapter 1 to prove God's existence. He has no beginning or he has no cause. God always was. In fact, in Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2, we read this. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God simply is. We're going to be uh, having a uh, time this evening with our uh, younger people after their Bible studies. We uh, have our praise and prayer time here in the, uh, in the auditorium. And tonight we've got a, uh, a puzzle, the panel, where we invite the children to, and the, the, uh, the teenagers, I should say, to, uh, to write questions in. And, and uh, we're going to sort of endeavour to, uh, to answer some of those questions. I remember actually um, doing something similar to this in a, uh, an RE class once, uh, an RI class down in uh, Newcastle. Gave the kids an opportunity to ask questions. And one of the, the primary questions that, would, that came from this year six class was, Who made God? Who made God? No one made God. God has always existed. God himself simply is. Genesis 1.1 is a definitive line in the sand and it calls us or it confronts us, if you like, to either believe and submit ourselves to this God as the sovereign Lord of our, of our lives and to find our meaning and our purpose and our significance in him as, as the one who has made us, as the one who has designed us, or to believe the alternative the secular understanding of, of where we came from, and that is the evolution. But when we sort of start to go that down that line, we start to uh, we have to then see ourselves not as people made by a creator, but just a bunch of, of chemicals, some kind of cosmic accident. And therefore we have no inherent worth whatsoever. 
What we also find here in these opening words of Genesis chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning, God, we see that God is not the object whom we are to evaluate. That these beginning words in Genesis apply that we as human beings are not the ultimate determiners of truth. Because if we hold up man as the ultimate authority, then we automatically take the place of, of evaluating the things of this world. Morals, values, histories. And in fact, we even take that place of evaluating God himself or the person of God himself. We effectively remove God and place ourselves in his position. And sadly, what, that's what we're seeing in our world, you know, today. It's, it's, it's showing its, its, its ugly head in lots of different ways. But man has assumed the place of God in our world as the one with ultimate authority. But the reality is, is that if man is that ultimate authority, then, then we've got so many different uh, understandings of, of what is good and what is right in our world today. So which man is right? The minute we get away from the, the, the God who always is and who always was and who always will be, the one who made all things, as soon as we get away from that, we, get, we move completely away from what is an absolute right and wrong. And of course, again, we see that in our society today. We call our society a pluralistic society which basically means that there is no absolute right and wrong, that right and wrong is what we make it to be. And it leads to an utter state of chaos and confusion and destruction in people's lives. God always existed. What we also discover about God in this passage is that there is only one God. There are no other gods mentioned here in Genesis. God is the only God. In fact, the, uh, the Israelites to, uh, to whom this book was originally written to uh, affirmed that every day. They would, they would say the, the Shema, which was, you know, um, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is no other God. He is God and God alone. And the fact, this fact, in fact, then refutes the many kind of religions that we find in our world today. The many false religions and philosophies that abound. Things like polytheism, for instance, which, which basically affirms that there are many gods. And religions in our world today, like Hinduism and Buddhism and so forth, they are uh, religions that practice that there are many, many gods. Not only does it refute polytheism, but it also refutes a uh, philosophy called pantheism, which means that, that God, or that, that the creation itself is God, that God is in everything, that, that the creation itself is God, that we in fact are gods. It also refutes atheism, that the, the denial that there is a God. And it refutes Hedonism, that man is God. There is only one God. 
And this God is the God who made everything. In this one simple opening verse of statement, we discover that everything begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Folks, there is no more foundational or, 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 or significant statement in all of human literature than that particular sentence that we have in the opening verse of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word for created is the Hebrew term bara. And it is always used in reference to God as creator. God as the one behind everything. Of course, this flies in the face of the predominant worldview today that everything resulted from this huge explosion of nothingness and that out of that complex life arose. I don't know what takes more faith to believe in, that, that there is a creator God or that there was once that there was nothing and then nothing exploded and then, then there was everything. If this was the way that complex life and including man actually arose or came to be, then... So I said before, we are just one big accident. And as we look around the room and as we see the individuals in, you know, represented in this room and we look in our, around our world and we see people in our world, we see that in fact human beings have no inherent worth whatsoever. And for me to cause harm to anyone or to myself or anything like that in the context of that particular world philosophy, really it should mean nothing. And so we, we've got the, uh, the capacity then to live whatever kind of lives we choose to live without any kind of responsibility whatsoever you know, in, in terms of that as well. It just makes no sense, does it? God made everything. And what this also tells us is that there is, it automatically creates a distinction between God and us as creator and creature. The Bible speaks of God as being holy. God is other. God is so far set apart from everything else that he has made, that he has created. There is no one like him. And because God has made everything, it also tells us that everything then derives its meaning and its purpose from God, the one who made it all. Every single one of us derives our meaning and our purpose from him as our designer and creator. God is the one who ultimately determines the function and the purpose for all that he has made. Next, we discover that God desires to be known and worshipped. In the creation, God reveals himself and his character, that he is powerful. 
that he is creative, that he is eternal, that he is sovereign, that he is the giver of life, that he is intelligent and that he is good. We discover all these things about God here in these opening, these opening words of Genesis, in this opening chapter of Genesis. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, which I alluded to just earlier, says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Folks, we can look around us at the things, that, you know, the, the mountains, the, the beautiful scenery. We can look at the human body, that, you know, the, the complexity and the intricacies of, of how we are made, and we can see that there is indeed a designer, a creator behind it, that God's eternal power and his divine nature are clearly, clearly able to be seen in all that he has made. You look up into the night sky, into the, 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 the array of stars in the night sky. You get down to the to the subatomic levels of, of molecular you know molecular science and things like that, and you see that there is a, a creator, a designer behind it. There's a um, a story of a uh, a fellow who was a watchmaker, and uh, and uh, he was in his shop, you know, with this uh, with this beautiful uh, you know um, handcrafted watch that he that he had made, and with all of its fine tuning and that sort of thing. And, and a fellow came in and he was admiring the watch, and he said, "Oh, who made the watch?" And the man said, "Nobody." What do you mean nobody made the watch? And he said, "He said someone's got to have made it." I mean, with all of the design and all the parts working so wonderfully together in order to, uh, you know, for this watch to be what it is and to function as it is, someone's got to have made it. And that's the same with our world today, folks. It just did not happen that God is the one who has created the heavens and the earth. God as he has revealed himself, is a personal God. He's not merely some cosmic force. He speaks. He sees. God, in this passage we'll see, makes value judgments about what has been made and he creates man in his own image as a personal being to be known by God and to know God. God is a personal God. And the last thing we discover about God is that he, what he wills, he is able to bring about. There is this repeated phrase throughout this chapter where it says, And God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. Folks, God is all-powerful. There's a, a technical term if you want to use it. It's called omnipotence. God is the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God. What God wills, God is able and powerful enough to bring about. His power is able to accomplish anything he chooses. There are many things we learn about God. 
In this passage, you also discover things about the world in which we live. Firstly, this, that it was created good. In a number of verses, verse 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, I've got those lifted up, listed up behind me on this screen, we read that as God said and as God created, God looks at what he made and he says that it was good. Or indeed, when it comes to the creation of mankind, he said it is very good. You know, oftentimes we, uh, we sort of think about this and, uh, and we just gloss completely over it. As uh, Dale and I were sort of just talking just briefly in the office before uh, the service this morning, we, just, we, we fail to grasp the significance and the, the richness of the meaning of what God says it, the, uses is the term good here. That not only is it good in terms of, you know, positive and beneficial and that sort of thing and something that's nice and, and pleasing, but that it is perfect. That it cannot be bettered. As God creates and as God makes, he looks at what he has made and he says there is no improving upon this. It is good. Of course, this then sets us up for the tragedy of what will take place in chapter 3, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks' time, where we see why our world today is no longer the good place that God created it to be. Not only is, was our world and all of the universe made good, but it was also created with order and with purpose. We're told that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep there in verse 2. Folks, this is a picture in the, in the, the, ancient, uh, the ancient mind of the, of the people who would have been the, the first recipients of this. It would, have, it would have been a picture of chaos, this, this, this formlessness, this void, this darkness, the, the waters was a picture of chaos, but not in terms of how we would understand chaos, but meaning that it, at that particular point in time there was no purpose or structure to the creation itself. It is not a, an indictment on the fact that you know, what God made was, was in, in fact imperfect. It's just that God, had it not that, at that point in time, had not yet done his work of giving purpose and function to that which he had made. But then God sets about making boundaries for things and he starts to carve out spaces for life to flourish. He creates day and night on day one. And then on, on day four, he creates sun, moon and stars. I've got a bit of a, a, a table there that you can sort of look at. You'll see on the, uh, your uh, left-hand side the, the unformed, the formlessness, if you like. And we see that God forms, brings about a form to the formlessness. And that which is void, that which is unfilled, then God seeks about filling. So in day one, we see God creating day and night. And then in, in, uh, in uh, day four, we see that then God fills that with sun moon and stars in verse, in, on day 2 he separates the sky above from the sea below and then on day 5 he creates the fish and the birds to fill those things the, 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 to fill the water and the sky 
And then on day three, he creates land and vegetation. And on day six, he creates the land creatures and mankind. God is a God of order. And God gives order and purpose to that which he has made. Now look, folks, there is a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, conjecture, even in Christian circles today as to, you know, was it a literal seven days or was it a period of time or or, all that sort of thing. And and the purpose of, of this message today is not to go into all of that. I mean, for me personally, I look at Genesis chapter one and I read that there was evening and there was morning the first day. I just see that as a day. I take it as read. Let's not get into you know all of the semantics and that sort of thing, but let's just understand from this from this chapter what is it what it is indeed teaching us. And that is the fact that God is the one who made it all. That he did so, you know, in in a way which was, was created with order and purpose and structure. Because that is the kind of God he is. And as we see that, we, uh, we then you know, come down a little bit later on into the, the passage where we start to, to see God's purpose and meaning for us as mankind. And we start to discover some things about ourselves. And the first is this, that we are created in the image of God. Look at verse 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. It's interesting here that we've been speaking about God as, as, the, as one God. But here we see that there's a complexity to God's oneness. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, of course, you can't go building a whole theology on the Trinity just from that one verse there. But you start to see that there is more to God And he has made us, he has created us in his image. In other words, we are created in such a way as to reflect aspects of the one who has made us. We are people capable of language, of reasoning, of altruistic love, of creativity, of meaningful relationships and of the capacity to know and relate to God as our creator, as our maker. It's interesting, in the, uh, again, in the, the world of the ancient Near East, kings in that day, you know, people who uh, were the, the, the sovereigns and often looked upon as gods themselves, they would actually, around their, the, the, their, their territory, if you like, they would set up statues around the territory of themselves to remind the people that they were the ones who were king that this was their territory, that this was their, this, this came under their authority and their power. And what we see here is that God, in order to reveal his majesty and his authority and his kingship, he actually creates us as his divine representatives to be, to, to, to mirror, if you like, or to picture Himself in our world. Doesn't that just blow you away? 
No other thing in all creation apart from mankind is said to be created in the image of God. Nothing. And this gives mankind a place above everything else in this world. It gives us value. It gives us worth. It gives us dignity. It gives us meaning and it gives us purpose. God goes on to say that he created mankind male and female. And Isaac will speak about this more in a couple of weeks' time when we come to uh, Genesis 2. We see that God created us in his image and he goes on to say that we are given dominion over God's creation. That God has made mankind as vice-regents, if you like, or co-rulers over that which he has made. In other words, he has entrusted to us the care of this world as his representatives, as his stewards, if you like. We are to use the resources given to us, but to do it in such a way as that we do it with responsibility and with thoughtfulness and with, and with great care. And so, yes, there is a place in this world today to be able to say, you know what, we have been just, we've been given this world to care for and therefore we need to make sure that we are, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're um, careful and responsible with conservation. We're careful and responsible for managing the resources and things that we have that God has given to us at our disposal. But not to take it to the point where those things then become that which is worshipped apart from the Creator. That, in fact, they're the things that we devote all of our efforts and our energies and our time into. But remembering that these things are a good gift to us from God and we are to enjoy those things. We are to enjoy this world. We are to enjoy the things that God has given us in this world. And we are to delight in them as gifts that have been given to us by our Creator. And therefore, we, we enjoy those, but at the same time, we praise and give thanks to God for the one who has given us those things. And we are to use them in the way that God has designed them. And Peter mentioned earlier in terms of the, uh, the, um, in his prayer about uh, the, the debate that is going to take place this week again over this issue of same-sex marriage in our, in, our, in our society. God himself, and we'll see this in the next couple of weeks, God himself has, has created marriage in a beautiful way and it is to be enjoyed and treasured and to be partaken of, but according to the way that God has designed it, the way that God has made it. Because as soon as we get out of that, we start to get into all kinds of troubles and we start to destroy and, uh, and, and degrade that which God has made us good. Good. God has given us dominion and we are meant to work in the world and that in itself gives us you know, a, a meaning and a purpose that, that, that God has designed for us 
We are to rule over and care for the creation. We are also to be fruitful and multiply in verse 28. In other words, we are to populate the planet, we are to reproduce, but we are to enjoy its beauty and goodness and to live in such a way that, uh, that, that benefits both ourselves but, but benefits everybody. Christians, we need to get this. We need to get this and we need to let it sink down deep into our hearts and into our minds that God has created us in order to be a blessing. To be a blessing to him in the way which we reflect his character then we are to be a blessing to those around about us. We are to love with the same kind of love that God has for us. If you want to know God's primary purpose, apart from being people who glorify him, it is to love others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. God has called us to live lives and live in such a way that benefits everything and everyone. And finally we see in this passage that we ourselves as God's co-rulers As people created and made in the image of God, we are people who are accountable to God. As our creator and as his image bearers and stewards of creation, we are accountable to him for how we respond to him, and that is in obedience and trust and faith, and how we reflect him in our actions and in our attitudes. That is how we rule for him. The constant danger for us as human beings is, as I said before, to turn our backs on our creator and instead worship the creation. And Paul reminds us of this again in Romans chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, where he says, Speaking of human beings, though claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is ever blessed. Every single day, every minute of every day, you and I live in the midst of a battle. And it is a battle for our hearts. What is it that is going to rule our hearts and our lives? And that which has captivated our hearts, that which has captivated our lives is indeed those things that we worship, that we place as those in, the most important things in our lives. 
And as fallen human beings, every minute of every day, we are at risk of, 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 of forgetting the Creator and instead focusing our minds and our hearts, our efforts, our resources on that which has been made and going after those things and seeking after those things. And God says, if you believe that, then you have believed a lie. And if you think you're going to find happiness and satisfaction and meaning and purpose and contentment in those things, then God says, then you are going to be sadly mistaken. Because although they may satisfy for a time... Ultimately, you will find that in your hearts that you will be wanting more. That it won't be enough. There is only one person who indeed is able to satisfy our hearts to the deepest, most um, infinite need that we have and that is God in the person of Jesus Christ. D.A. Carson, speaking about this notion of human accountability and responsibility, says, you know, we can ask the question, well, why should I obey God? If I don't like how God acts or his plans or purposes, then I can just choose other gods or just be my own God. I mean, who is God to boss me around? That is, of course, unless... We understand that God has made us. We can ask those questions. But when we come to that realisation that God has made us, it changes everything. Because if God made us, and he has, then he knows what's best for us, and he does. And we owe him everything. And we do. If we do not see it this way, then Carson says we are out of line with our maker and we are fighting against ourselves as God made us. Now there's a thought, isn't it? That if we don't understand God as the one who made everything including us and if we choose to deny that, and buck against that and rebel against that, then ultimately we are not fighting against God, but we are fighting against ourselves as God made us. God has indeed made us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Only in him do we find our true identity and purpose. Only in him do we discover what life is really all about. And only in him and according to his ways do we truly thrive. So how is your life? How is your life today?
You know, for some of us right now, our lives are probably in a state of what we might call chaos. Can I just say that as we look at this passage, we discover that it is in God's nature to turn our chaos into order, to turn our emptiness into fulfilment, and to shine His light into our darkness. He still uses His word to speak life into our lives. And when I speak about the word of God, yes, I'm referring to the scriptures, but I'm speaking more about the divine word of God being Jesus Christ himself. Remember, in the, John says in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus himself is able to bring about that life. He is able to speak life into our lives and bring about his good purposes in our lives. His spirit is able to breathe into us the breath of life and to make us new creations in Jesus Christ. That is God's purpose for us today, folks, to be those new creations in Jesus Christ. If we will recognise God as our creator and submit to him, then he will help us to be fruitful in our lives. He will help us to live lives of deep meaning and richness and purpose and fulfilment and in him discover that life is indeed good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you again that uh, that you have chosen to... Reveal yourself to us so that we may know you and have relationship with you. We thank you that you are indeed the one who has made everything and that as we look around us and as we you know, take in all that you have made, Lord, may it be those things that turn our eyes and our hearts back to you, but most importantly most significantly help us to know your ultimate revelation in Jesus Christ help us to know him and the life that he indeed wants to give to us eternal life both now and forever help us to surrender and to submit ourselves to you today Help us to go out into our world as your representatives, as your image bearers. The people may see aspects of us as Jesus shines his light and his grace and his truth through us. Help people to see beyond us, to see Jesus, to see you and to give you glory. Amen.